Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. I was kind of disappointed y'all were done. <laughs> we, uh, this spring, launched a series of initiatives under the banner of what we called Next. And really what we were trying to encapsulate was we'd been on about an 18-month journey as a fellowship, really seeking God about what was next for us Looking over the next 10 to 15 years, God, what is it that you would be directing us to really engage in? And one of the initiatives that we rolled out for you when we did that this spring was an initiative that has become known as the Global Cities Initiative that's been started by our International Mission Board that's a part of the denominational network that we affiliate with. And this Global Cities Initiative was really born out of the reality that there are unreached peoples in the world. As a matter of fact, as we sit in this building today, there are almost 2 billion, think about that for a minute, 2 billion people that have no access. What what we just sang about, the, the God that we just worshiped, the Jesus that has changed our lives, there are almost 2 billion people in the world that have little or no access to that gospel. They've never heard the name of Jesus. There's no church. There's no gospel scripture in their language. They sit today in absolute darkness. And what our International Mission Board discovered is the reason a lot of these people are what's called unreached and unengaged is because it's very difficult and it's very dangerous to get the gospel to some of these locations. But here's what they also discovered. That And if you look at the mega global cities of the world, that you find living inside of these global cities representation of almost, if not all, unreached people groups in the world. So all of these peoples from remote and difficult places that are hard to get to that have never heard of Jesus, most of them have some of the population of those people groups living in the global mega cities of the world. And the global megacities are not hard to get to and not as difficult or dangerous. And so the International Mission Board has mobilized a strategy to encourage churches in North America to engage in the global cities of the world as a means to reaching unreached peoples who can hear the gospel in those cities And then what they do is then they go home to those difficult, dangerous places and are indigenous missionaries living among the peoples that they come from, taking the gospel to them. So we shared with you this spring that God had opened the door for us to engage in one of these global cities. And I have had the joy and privilege with two other men in our church 
uh, to go and visit for the last couple of weeks this mega global city in South Asia. To give you some idea of the, the nature of this mega global city, Las Vegas, Nevada, we're a city of 2.2 million people. This mega global city that I was in is roughly the same landmass size as Las Vegas, but where we have 2.2 million, they have 22 and a half million people. Imagine Las Vegas, Nevada with 22 and a half million people living in the landmass where we're located. The city that we were in in South Asia, not only <laughs> is the city vast, and in that city of 22 and a half million people, get this, over 22 million of them have no relationship with Jesus Christ, meaning if they were to die today or if Christ were to return, over 22 million of the 22 and a half million living in this city would spend an eternity separated from God. But to draw the map out a little bit bigger, the state where this city is located in this particular country in South Asia is almost the exact same size as the state of Nevada. The state of Nevada has roughly 3 million people living in the state of Nevada. The state that we were in last week has over 100 million people. So wrap your mind around Imagine one-third of the population of the United States living in Nevada. You think we got traffic issues now. And yet... Of the 100 million people living there, 0.6% have heard about Jesus and have a relationship with him. 0.6. A hundred million people, and most of them, having never heard the gospel. And we got to go and visit <laughs> this city and this state. We were in urban areas and the major mega city. And then we were out in rural remote areas surrounding this major metropolis that's there in South Asia. And the only way I know how to describe what we experienced is to say this. God is still doing work in the world like he did in the book of Acts. Our God is moving in the world. Amen? As we sit here in this worship center this morning, I want you to know something. On literally the other side of the world, it's like you are stepping into the pages of the Bible. And what you read about in the book of Acts and you see fleshed out in the Gospels, there is a movement to the Gospel happening. We, we were able to go out into some remote areas. We walked into some villages that had literally never one time heard the name of Jesus. We, we sat in one village where where about 30 or 40 of them gathered in a home, this whole household gathered together, and we shared the good news of Jesus for about an hour and a half. And at the end of an hour and a half, we said, has anybody in here ever heard about Jesus before? And all over that room, they shook their heads no. And we watched them as they opened their hearts to the gospel and are ready to become followers of Jesus. We were in places where there were prostitutes that we saw come to know Christ. We saw demons cast out of people. I'm telling you, book of Acts, walking in the New Testament, God is still moving in the world. God is moving in the world. 
And here's the reality. He's inviting us to get in on it. He's inviting us to get in on it. Now, you may ask the question, can God really use me in his global mission? Well, the simple answer is yes, he can. Let me tell you what I saw. I met average, ordinary people. People that used to be administrative assistants, construction concrete workers, school teachers, business people who had become followers of Jesus and they were now leveraging their job, their skill, and their passion to join in God's activity. And I want you to hear me say something. That's not a new thing that's happening in the world. That's the same way the gospel exploded in the first century in the book of Acts. We sometimes think about what what we read in the pages of Scripture, and when we think about New Testament Christianity, we automatically associate it to some names. There are some missionaries that we read about in the Bible, right? Who are some of the missionaries that you read about in the news? Let me hear some of their names. Who are they? Paul, that one, we knew that was going to get called, right? Paul, what's some other ones? Barnabas, Peter, Silas, Timothy. Who are these people? These are some of the people that are recorded in Scripture that God used to expand his mission. But I think sometimes we see them like people that have a big letter S on their shirts and they have a cape flowing in the wind behind them. They are the superheroes of the church. But the reality is in the first century when we read about it in the book of Acts, there were untold thousands of people who were just ordinary, everyday followers of Jesus who leveraged their job. We won't ever know their names this side of eternity, but God used them to accomplish his mission. And I think sometimes we think that this thing called mission is reserved for the special forces in the church. That's that's the Marine Corps. That's the Navy SEALs. That's those that have had the special ops training that they offer over in some dark classroom in the church, right? You can only get in there if you know the secret handshake and the secret password. That's That's the special force. The rest of us, we pray for them, but there's these limited few, Pauls and Timothys and Barnabas there. But no, no, here's the reality. It's everyday, ordinary people of God, just like you and just like me, that are being used to expand the kingdom kingdom of God all over the world. And what I want to do this morning is I want to read you the story of one of those people. We actually do get his name. His name in the Bible is Epaphroditus. I didn't hear anybody shout that name out a minute ago, right? No, we don't even know who Epaphroditus is. Matter of fact, we think Epaphroditus is something you take medicine to get rid of, right? I used to have a bad case of Epaphroditus, but I took something. I'm doing much better now. But Epaphroditus is one of these un- spoken heroes. He's a guy, we got his name, but that's about all we have about him. But you're going to meet him in heaven, and he's an incredible part of the story of the mission of God. And you're going to meet him in heaven, and he's going to say, hey, did you like what they wrote about me in the Bible? And you're not even going to know who he is. So, so we're going to fix that today. I'm going to read you his story. But before I read you his story, listen to what John MacArthur says about him. He said, he's not an apostle or spiritual statement such as Paul. Or as far as we know, he's not even an elder like Timothy. 
There's no record of any outstanding work that he accomplished. Nothing is known of his family, his personal background, his conversion, how long he'd been a believer, or his specific functions in the church. You know who Epaphroditus is? He's just a regular, ordinary person who came to Christ in a town called Philippi. It was a community where Paul had planted a church in a woman's home named Lydia. And the gospel began to expand from Lydia's house. And one day Epaphroditus came to know Christ. And Epaphroditus, one day in the church, they decide they're going to take an offering and they're going to send it to the apostle Paul to join in his ministry and the mission of God outside of Philippi. But they needed somebody to carry the offering. They didn't have Western Union back then, so they they couldn't just send it to him. They had to have somebody carry it. And they said, anybody in our church willing to be sent and go? Epaphroditus said, well, I hadn't been to seminary, and I'm no preacher, and I've never pastored a church. I'm not even a deacon, but, but I can carry a bag of money with the best of them. Send me. And Epaphroditus, as we're about to read about him, becomes the first recorded short-term mission trip in the Bible. He takes that money. He goes and he works with Paul for a season. And then he comes back to the church at Philippi to give a report and to say thank you. You say, how do you know he came back? The letter we're about to read, he came back carrying the letter that we call the book of Philippians in our Bible. So if you have it, open your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 2, and I want to read you this story. Before I read the story, I want you to hear these words. The mission of Jesus will not be accomplished by seminary trained (coughs) professional super Christians. Third service is getting me. The mission of Jesus will not be accomplished by seminary-trained super-Christians. The mission of Jesus will be accomplished as we unleash the ordinary followers of Jesus who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to use their job, their skill, and their passion to engage in God's mission. Here's what that means. If we're going to see the mission of Jesus accomplished, it's not going to happen by a few personalities on a stage. It's going to happen as you, as the church of Jesus Christ, full of the Holy Spirit of God, leverage your job, your skill, and your passion to engage in what God's doing globally. Epaphroditus was a guy just like that. Let's read it. Beginning in verse 25. He says, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. You hear what Paul says? Paul says, he's been with me. He was my co-laborer. He was my brother. He soldiered with me in the gospel. But he says, he's first your messenger. He was first with you. You sent him to me. Now I'm sending him to you. Look at verse 26. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death. 
I love the next two words, but God. Anytime you find those two words in the Bible, something good's about to happen. Amen? And here's another one. Here's this guy's at the point of death, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul said, I didn't want to have to live with the fact that you sent him to me, and he died out here. Verse 28, therefore I've sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. Listen to this, verse 30. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ. Listen to these next three words. Risking his life. Say those three words out loud. Risking his life. Say it one more time. Risking his I wanted you to say it because I want you to know that's in the Bible. Surely the Lord wouldn't call. It's in the book. Risking his life. Why? To complete what was deficient in your service to me, to, to, to fill in the gaps of what was lacking in the ministry and mission that God had called me to. So here's Epaphroditus, regular, ordinary guy, used of God. And I want to share with you three things about him that will help us understand how he wasn't able to be used to accomplish the mission of Jesus. And here's the first one. He knew Jesus. He knew Jesus. We don't know a lot about Epaphroditus, but we do know this. He'd grown up in a culture very far from God. His name tells us that. His name, Epaphroditus, in the Greek language, here's what his name means. Favored of Aphrodite. Who is Aphrodite? Aphrodite was one of the many Greek gods of the polytheistic culture of the ancient Greek civilization. So apparently Epaphroditus' parents had raised him in a culture of polytheism where they feared and worshipped and were always trying to appease the many so-called gods of Greek culture. So he'd been raised very far from God, but one day somebody in Philippi, we don't know who, the Bible doesn't tell us, but somebody out of the church at Philippi Somebody that had come to Christ in Lydia's house was just doing their thing in Philippi. They run into Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus hears from them the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and what he'd been searching for his whole life and trying to appease the polytheistic gods that he'd been trying to worship. He finds in one man the person of Jesus Christ, and he surrenders his life to Jesus, and he's born again into the family of God and begins to worship in the church here in Lydia's house. You say, how do we know that? Here's how we know that because the time, by the time we find him on the pages of Scripture, here's what Paul calls him. Paul says in verse 25, he's my brother. This one who was very far from God has now been born again into a relationship with God and now is being used on mission for God. Here's the point. Look at this on the screen. Those used by God to accomplish the mission of the gospel are first reached by someone through the mission of the gospel. We've asked God over the next 15 years to give us 1% of the western United States. We've asked God 
over the next 15 years to give us 750,000 people. How are we going to do that? We've asked God to let us start and plant 300 new churches up and down the West Coast that will reproduce and multiply 10 times each to plant 3,000 new churches in the next 15 years up and down the West Coast. Why? Because the Western United States is where 40% of the unchurched population in America lives, making us, the Western United States, one of the fourth largest numerical mission fields in the world. So we've asked God to let us send out church planters up and down the West Coast. Let me ask you a question. Where are those church planters going to come from? Let me tell you where some of them are going to come from. Right now, some of them live in Las Vegas, and they're very far from God. They've been raised in a culture very far from God or worshiping gods other than the one true and living God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And you're going to meet them. You're going to meet them at your job. You're going to meet them in your neighborhood. You're going to meet them in your school. You're going to meet them at the grocery store. And through your relationship, Jesus is going to walk from your life into their life. And they're going to embrace the gospel. They're going to come into our church. They're going to be discipled. They're going to be raised up. They're going to hear about the need. They're going to put their yes on the table. And we're going to send them out of here to go plant churches up and down the West Coast. Some of the people that God desires to use in the mission right now, they're in the mission field, and you and I are going to be used to reach them with the gospel. We've asked God over the next 15 years to let us send out 50 families out of our church that are going to plant their lives in some culture in another part of the world to reach people that have never heard about Jesus with the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Where are those 50 families going to come from? Let me tell you where. Some of them live right now in Las Vegas, and they're very far from God. And as you live on mission... Every day, in every place, sharing Christ. You know what this means? That sharing the gospel and doing evangelism is more than just being about the eternity of the people you're talking to. There are people on the other side of the world that God's going to raise them up and send them to with the gospel, and it's going to make an eternity's worth of difference in people's lives all over the world. We know the name of Epaphroditus. We don't have a clue who led Epaphroditus to Jesus. But somebody did. And every person that's used in the mission of the gospel first was reached through the mission of the gospel. I met a man like this when I was in South Asia. His name was Lepak. I want to put a picture of Lepak and I up here on the screen. I want you to see him. This is Lepak. I'm telling you, man, if American movie makers could get this guy's story, they'd make a movie and a heartbeat about this guy. We got introduced to him over there through some of our partners on the field. And, and so we spent an entire day with Lepak just running around uh, this area of South Asia where, where God was using him mightily. And one of the things that we did, we jumped in an Uber, and, and we're driving from one side of the city to the other in this Uber, which took a couple of hours. And so in this car, uh, Lepak tells us his story. And here's his story. Lepak grew up very far from God. He grew up in a Hindu family that had worshipped many gods. And Lepak, although he tried the religion of his family and of his people, he could not find peace. He could not find satisfaction in pursuing that religion and those false gods. And so Lepak began to (coughs) turn to other things. He turned to drugs and alcohol. 
And Lepak became deeply addicted to substance abuse to the point that he became a severe heroin addict where he was stealing from his family. He was stealing from his neighbors. He was stealing from anybody close to him to simply support his addiction so that he could have that next shot in his veins to try to find some kind of peace in the world. And the drugs and the alcohol wasn't satisfying him. So, so he tried to move on to something else. He got connected to some guerrilla fighters who'd formed an insurgent army on the border of two nations in South Asia. And they were warring against a people trying to commit genocide. They were trying to ethnically cleanse an entire region of a people. And so he gave his life for several years to killing and murdering people up and down the border of this nation, trying to cleanse the region of this people winds up in prison Lepak served several years in prison and when I say prison don't think prison in America it was a hard time that he did and upon completing his prison sentence he was released back into the streets and with his background he had nothing and so he found himself again at the end of a needle injecting himself with heroin living in the streets as a homeless person literally hoping his life would end. And there was this one little family in the village where he was that took him into their home. And they began to love Lepak. They began to share the love of Jesus with him. And they got him into some centers that enabled him to get off the, the, the drugs and the alcohol that he'd been deeply addicted to. And in the process of ministering to him, Lepak discovers that this family he's now living with was from the very people that he tried to wipe off the face of the earth as a guerrilla fighter. And he's overwhelmed with the forgiveness and the grace of God that's being demonstrated through their lives. And they shared the gospel with Lepak. And Lepak embraced Jesus, what he'd been searching for in drugs and in religion and in alcohol and in sex and in warfare. He finally found in the person of Christ. And he embraced Jesus as the Lord and Savior of his life. And he changed Lepak's life. Lepak met a young lady. They got married. They had a son. They began serving in ministry in this part of the country where we were and began to reproduce and plant churches, so much so that where he was serving in the villages in the surrounding region, there were churches that were planting churches that were planting churches that were planting churches. And he said, wait a minute. I'm not needed here anymore. There are so many churches planting churches. I need to go somewhere else. So he's now settled in the global major mega city that God's led us. And we got introduced to him. And I'm telling you, God's got his hand on this guy. And and he is reproducing and multiplying churches in an incredible way. One of the places where Lepak took us, he took us to the second largest red light district in the city that we were in. Now, almost 9,000 women selling themselves every day to simply provide for the children that they had living with them. These women trapped, many of them having been trafficked into this industry where they're selling their bodies every day. And, and Lepak takes us there, and we're, we're walking through this little shanty town with all these thousands. And you could just tell as we walked through there, they all knew him. He had been there. He'd ministered the love of Jesus to them. They, when, when there was an honor that they bestowed towards him because he treated them as people with value and significance and purpose. We wound up in this one little hut that's it's about the size of the carpet on this stage. It's not much bigger than this. And in this little hut, they have five sewing machines 
where they are trying to lead these women to Christ and then teach them the skill of being a seamstress so that they can have hope for a life outside of this industry where they're living. And at one point, they, they packed the room with about 30 or 40 of these ladies who are, and, and I'm, I'm sitting there, my mind doesn't even have a box or a filter for all this. We're sitting there in this room with 30 to 40 women that are prostitutes, and they're leading them to begin to sing songs about Jesus. And then they turn to me and say, okay, pastor, you're up. And they want me to share the gospel with these 30 or 40 women. So for about an hour through translation, we, we unpack the gospel. Man, I start in Genesis, go all the way to Revelation, and just trying to teach them the story of the gospel. And look at this next picture. Here's seven of these ladies that gave their lives to Jesus. They embraced the gospel and become followers of Christ. While we're in the middle of this... We're in the middle of praying over these ladies. After this, many of the ladies began to come that were, had all kinds of different diseases. Their children were sick, and we're praying, laying hands on them. While we're in the middle of that, a woman walks in who was also working in the industry, and she was AIDS, HIV positive, full-blown AIDS, and she's possessed by a demon. And I know that because we're in there calling out the name of Jesus. The next thing you know, her eyes roll back in her head. She's screaming. She's on the ground. She's writhing. She's moving around like a snake. It was the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen and so the other local guy and I we and some of our team we just started praying Jesus over this lady and like 15 minutes later just like in the Bible she's sitting and clothed and in her right mind and eating with us and God was moving in incredible ways but but here's what I want you to hear me say we serve a God who's still in the business of turning Saul's into Paul's and using them to accomplish his mission and they're all over Las Vegas. There are Lepox all over this city that you and I interact with on a daily basis. And when we share the gospel with them, God's going to bring them to himself, raise them up, and send them out for the accomplishment of his mission to the very ends of the earth. Epaphroditus, he knew Jesus. Here's the second thing about him. He walked with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. Look at verse 25. In verse 25, Paul uses two words to describe Epaphroditus. He uses the word my and the word your. He says he was my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, but he says he was also your messenger and minister. Meaning this, Paul is describing Epaphroditus in his relationship to Paul in the mission field, but also in his relationship to Philippi and the church community that was there. And the bottom line is this. In both of those areas of relationships, Epaphroditus was found extremely faithful. He didn't just know Jesus. He walked with Jesus. So much so that when the church at Philippi said, we need somebody to go, and Epaphroditus said, I'll go, the church said, that's the right guy. They'd so seen Christ in him They'd so seen a walk with God in his life. The church did not hesitate to say, that's our guy. Let's set him apart. Let's send him. And then Paul's testimony on the field. He said, man, he wasn't just my brother. He was my co-laborer. He worked with me. He wasn't just my co-laborer. He was my fellow soldier. He fought the same battles I was fighting. Here's what that means. Living on mission with God doesn't start with a passport application. Living on mission with God doesn't start in a class on how to share your faith with others. Living on mission with God begins in an intimate, abiding relationship with Jesus 
that spills out of your life and impacts the people you relate with locally and globally. Epaphroditus was who he was because of his walk with Jesus, meaning this, the greatest thing you can do today to join in the mission of Jesus is to be long in the presence of Jesus, to be much with him. The greatest thing you and I can do today is not not get out a whiteboard and come up with some strategy of how we can change the world for God. The greatest thing we can do today is not get a globe and spin it and put our finger down and say, that's where I'm going to go. The greatest thing we can do today is get in the presence of God and let Jesus so change us on the inside that what spills out of us is not a better us, but it's Christ in us working through us to accomplish his mission locally and globally. It's why Paul wrote it this way. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Look what he said. He said, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ. Say these two words out loud. To God. Say it again. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you hear what he said? He said, God is at work always producing through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Jesus. But look what it says. You would think it would say to them. But that's not what it says. First, to God. And then out of the overflow of our fellowship with the Father, then among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. It begins in intimacy with Jesus. Epaphroditus was mightily used because, first of all, he knew Jesus. But secondly, he walked with Jesus. Here's the third and final thing. He was surrendered to Jesus. Out of the overflow of his walk with Jesus, he'd come to the place in his life where he put his yes on the table. Lord, however, whenever, wherever, whatever, Let me ask you a question today. Are you surrendered to the mission of Jesus? See, here's the way we tend to deal with this in America. We love the mission of Jesus, but we have our life. And we're planning our life. That includes kids and grandkids and retirement and portfolios and travel and golf courses. And the mission of Jesus is a nice little hobby that we dabble in to make us feel better about ourselves. But that, that's not Epaphroditus. He surrendered to the mission of Jesus. You say, well, how do I know if I'm surrendered to the mission of Jesus? Well, well let me close by, by giving you three questions right out of Epaphroditus' life. Here's the first one. Am I willing to be sent anywhere? And when you read about Epaphroditus in this text, one minute he's in Philippi. The next minute, Philippi is sending him to work with Paul in Rome. And he gets over here with Paul in Rome, and then Paul's sending him back to the church of Philippi. He's like a ping pong ball. He's just being sent back and forth and back and forth. How was he able? Here's here's the bottom line. He said, Lord, yes. Wherever you want me to go. 
Wherever in the world, God, you want to use me, my yes is on the table. It's not about me. It's about you. Let me ask you a question. Is there a geographical limitation on your willingness to join in God's mission? Yes, Lord. Anywhere within this 150-mile radius. Yes, Lord, as long as it's close to a Walmart. Are you ready to be sent anywhere? Let me tell you a good place to start. This weekend, as you go out to the tent, (coughs) we're releasing 25 trip dates that we're taking next year. We already have them planned. There'll be more added. We have 25 teams that we already have planned that'll be in 13 different countries on five different continents next year. You know a good starting place for a yes? Just give a week. Give a week to be willing to go anywhere and just see what God does. Just see what he does. You say, but I've never been trained. Listen, Epaphroditus hadn't either. He just said yes. Second question, am I willing to serve anyone in any way? Epaphroditus, the Bible says of him here in verse 25, Paul said he was a minister to my need. The word need's an interesting Greek word. It literally means anything necessary that was lacking. Here's the bottom line. Epaphroditus said, Lord, I'll go anywhere and I'll do anything, whatever's lacking. Paul was in Rome. Paul was in prison awaiting his trial and pending execution for the gospel. And Epaphroditus signed up and said, I'll go serve Paul however he needs me to serve him. And now Paul says to him, I want to send you back to Philippi. Your brothers and sisters in Christ need encouragement. They need God's word spoken to them. Epaphroditus said, I'll do that too. There were no limitations for him on how God desired to use him. He simply said, Lord, yes. Let me ask you a question. Are there limitations on your willingness to serve? Are there aspects of the mission that are too uncomfortable or too insignificant or too small? I hear people say this sometimes when you talk about mission. Here's what people say. Well, that's just not for me. (laughs) You know what I've never heard? I've never been on the field around people that were serving in other parts of the world who said, you know what, I always dreamed my life would turn out like this. You know what they usually say? I didn't think this was for me. It's too uncomfortable for me. And now they find themselves today being used of God in a way they never dreamed possible. Are you at the place where you're willing to say, Lord, yes, anywhere, and God, yes, any way you want to use me? Lord, if it's comfortable, if it's uncomfortable, if it puts me in situations that I have never been in before. Listen, I was in a bunch of them last week. I've never been in these situations before in my life, but here's what I'm telling you. The Holy Spirit of God in that moment will give you everything you need. He is enough. He's enough. Here's the third and final question. Am I willing to sacrifice anything? Am I willing to be sent anywhere? Am I willing to serve anyone in any way? Am I willing to sacrifice anything? Look at verse 30. We'll close. Look what he said. 
He came close to death for the work of Christ. Don't miss this. Risking his life. In Las Vegas, we ought to be real familiar with this word risking. It's the Greek word for gambling. He gambled with his life. The word life doesn't just mean physical being alive. It means that plus everything it entails like health, happiness, comfort, wealth, possessions. Here was what Epaphroditus did. He took all of his life, his health, his wealth, his happiness, his possessions, his comfort, and here's what he said. God, I'm all in. He just pushed it all across the table. I'm all in. Wherever you want to send me. Whoever and however you want me to serve them. And whatever it costs me. Yes. You say, man, if I live like that, I'm afraid of what it might cost me. There's a man that wrestled with that question whose name was Jim Elliott. Jim had a wife and young children, and he felt called of God to go to South America to take the gospel to people that had never heard it before. And so he did. He loaded up his family. They moved to South America, and they start trying to reach these tribes that had never heard about Jesus before. And guess what happened? The tribe killed him. They murdered him. And his wife and children felt called to stay. And they continued to love these people to the point that the gospel took hold. Their lives were changed. Churches were planted that are now multiplying churches all over that region of the world. But Jim Elliott counted the cost. And I want you to listen to what he said. Look at this quote. Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You ready to be all in? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit and your word today that you would speak to people here. God, I know that this is not your typical North America Sunday morning sermon that everybody goes home feels better about themselves. Lord, it's the truth of your gospel, and it's the call that you've placed on our lives, and it's not for the elite special forces. It's a call to every one of us as children of God today. And Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that in this moment you would speak as only you can. Lord, I pray today that you'd not be silent. I pray today that you'd not be still, that you would speak, that you would move. As you sit in the stillness of this moment, I know that this is a challenging word from God today. I know it wrestles with our comfort as American Christians in particular. You say, where do I start? Well, let me encourage you to start right there in your seat in prayer with God about those three questions. And just be honest. Are you willing to be sent anywhere? You willing to serve in anyone in any way? 
You willing to sacrifice anything? I think a starting place for some of us today is in wrestling with those questions to get to a fresh place of surrender where you say, Lord, yes. Maybe you won't even come to one of these altars this morning and just get in one of these altars and just put a fresh yes on the table before God. Because here's the problem in my life. I put that yes there and then I'll take it back. Then I'll have to put it there again and then I'll take it back. Maybe you'll begin by just being someone who prays for the nations. You can pick up prayer cards at the tent today where you can pray for Las Vegas, the West, and the world. Maybe God's calling you to go. One of these short-term team trips, you can join one of these go teams and you can be involved in what God's doing. Or maybe you're sensing God stirring you to be one of those families that leave Las Vegas that we plant on the other side of the world. This morning, if you sense God speaking to you in that way, we have pastors here at the front. We're about to stand and sing a beautiful song of surrender. You can come to one of our pastors and say, I think God's calling me and We can just begin a process of praying with you and walking with you on this journey to discovering God's will. Or maybe you're here today and you're not even a Christian. You've heard about Jesus who changed Leapock's life, the same Jesus that changed my life as a freshman in college. And maybe you want to know this Jesus. When we stand to sing in a moment, you can slip out from where you're going to be standing and come to one of these pastors at the front. All you have to say is, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with God. For others of you today, we're here. If you sense God leading you, you want to be prayed with or prayed over with your job, your health, your family, whatever that is, we're here. You respond as the Spirit of God leads today. It's in the time to slip out early. It's a moment to let God move and let God speak. Holy Spirit of God, have your way in this moment. Lord, would you give us ears to hear today? And may we not just be hearers of the Word, but, oh God, may we be doers of the Word. Lord, would you use this for your glory? We love you, Jesus. Move among us, Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray.